As Edward said, the he in this story is Samson. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that had never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, All this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric and tightened it with a pin. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the strength, the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, She sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, 
the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our sin, our our slain, even. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me, please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And he reached out toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus... He killed many more when he died than while he'd lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He led Israel for 20 years. Thanks, John and Jane. Superbly read, great big chunk Excellent. It's quite hard to read that and not wonder what on earth was Samson doing when he allowed her to nag him. What does it say? (laughs) She nagged him. She prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Nagging is effective. Is that the point of this sermon? (laughs) And just the, the shock that he was prepared to give up that secret, even though he knew full well what his Delilah was doing. So it's, a, it's a, an astonishing story, quite vividly read. What's it all about? Please let's pray for God's help as I try to explain it. Heavenly Father, we praise you that Samson's in the Bible for a reason, and he's mentioned in Hebrews as a man of faith, and therefore we are to learn from his example. We pray we'd be wise as we do that. We'd see ways that he does point to Jesus and ways that he doesn't. Please grant us hope and confidence in your using us for your service. Amen. I've got a bunch of biographies here. Uh, Converted drug addicts, gangster, gangland British gangster guy, became a Christian, converted... And I don't know if you've read the Stephen Lungu transformation. He went with grenades to try and blow up a Christian meeting, heard the talk and was converted and became an evangelist. (laughs) It's just fantastic stories of turnaround. Um, Their terrible backgrounds were not grounds for them being excluded from the kingdom or from faithful and fruitful service once they trusted Christ with their lives. They went on to wonderful service. 
That's all very well, you say, but what about those who are Christians already but fail terribly and horribly? Adultery, embezzlement, abuse, abandonment, theft. Surely God can't still use a person like that. They've disobeyed and offended against the God whom they owe their life to. Surely, once you're a believer, there are standards to live by. And if you fail them, then you're out. There is no hope, no future for people like that. Well, Samson's story is one that would beg to differ. It tells us, and this is the point of this talk, that God can use even you. Samson's story, along with Gideon's, gets more airtime than any of the other judges in the book. It was the Dark Ages. That is, Israel had no king and everyone was doing as they saw fit. That's the last verse of the book of Judges. But God has brought some order to the chaos. He's raised up deliverers for his people from among them. And the cycle should now, by now, be really familiar. The leader does a good job getting the people together, leading them in strength and against an overwhelming and often oppressive enemy to victory. The people enjoy that for a time. They then become complacent. They forget that it was God who rescued them and they slip back into self-centered, godless existence, relying on their own strength and then being surprised that it isn't working out for them and God is allowing their enemies to humble them again and bring them to their knees. So the people cry out and round we go again. God graciously provides another deliverer. But I guess you've noticed that the judges... God raises up, don't fit a marvel mould. In fact, they're variously unlikable, cowardly, and odd, to say the least. And that at least means that God is always the hero of the story, the ultimate hero. In any transformation or rescue story, we'll give thanks for the human turnaround that God has done, But hold on to the fact that only God is perfect. He is the one who brings about all that we see. He's the rescuer behind every flawed hero. And none more flawed, it seems, than this shocking Samson. By chapter 16, despite his being set aside for service of God at birth by his parents, who must have had to watch a very troubled young man grow up in their home, He has let lust drive him to marriage to a Philistine. He's resisted any parental advice about that. He's gambled. He's let fly in desperately murderous violence. He's abandoned his wife. He's got up the noses of the Philistines, who've brought terrible vengeance on Israel as a result. And finally, chapter 16, he gets hook, line and sinkered by a prostitute. So how can this bizarre character help us? What is there to glean for Christians? We do know, don't we, that in the Bible overview Jesus gave the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, 27. Starting with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. All the scriptures point us to Jesus. Some of them do it directly. God's promise to Abraham that from his offspring would come a deliverer. And we're waiting for Jesus, the deliverer. Others do it indirectly. When everyone's doing as they see fit and there is no king, God raises up the leader they need. But he's flawed. And we're looking for a better deliverer than him. 
So it's not surprising that the time of the judges points us to Jesus, a leader who would be God's rescuer of his people, with the power and authority of God to vanquish enemies, and whose life and words and example we would be wise to copy. But what, if anything, should we take from Samson? That God's um, leaders can behave like Samson did? Surely not. No, this is the lesson that we'd be wise to take away from the Samson story. God works through Samson despite his weaknesses. God works through Samson despite his weaknesses. And he crushes his enemies and he sets his people free from their oppression. That's the first of three points. Let's begin with three quick ways that Samson points us to Jesus. What are the parallels that make us think Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise set out in the Samson story? Well, the clues are often in the flaws of God's leader. Where Samson is strong, but out of control, God's ultimate leader will be perfectly strong and perfectly in control. Jesus is the one whose birth, life and death do fully complete God's plan for his people. Samson only does it in small part for a small time. So these should have bells ringing for you. Let me list them. Samson's special birth. An angel appears to a desperate woman and tells her she'll give birth to a son. The angel encourages her to set him apart for a special life. He will be holy and different. And there's a somewhat bamboozled husband on the scene who at least goes along with the plan. Does that ring a bell? Samson's powerful life. He has power given him by the Spirit of God. Verse 6 of chapter 14. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. Every time the people think they have him in an unbreakable trap... He snaps the ties and walks free. How many times did Jesus walk out of impossible traps? And then Samson's victorious death. Samson, bound, blinded, apparently utterly at the mercy of his powerful oppressors, tied up, he nevertheless finds a way in his death to win the greatest victory of his life. The enemy wiped out in one fell swoop while Samson forfeits his life. Do you see how each of those stages do point us to a man many years later who would be our rescuer? Between chapters 13 and 16, we're presented with a man whose life remarkably foreshadows Jesus, but the big problem is that while he foreshadows Jesus in some ways, he's remarkably unlike Jesus in others. Just a point to note that have a great bearing on us as we struggle along in the Christian life, making a good go of it at some times, but more often than not making a right mess of things and feeling like we really should be going back to square one. Samson is a flawed believer, and yet he is one whom God empowers and uses. He's a walking disaster. Hopes raised at the start by obedient and willing parents Yet then this lustful drive and he marries a Philistine woman. That's the first of three times he breaks the command not to marry anyone who worships another god. It seems he's easily led astray. And he's a lager lout. You'll have to read the rest of the story to work out where I'm getting that from. There's that riddle at the party. 
It's the sort of stunt an overconfident young man might try and pull seemingly ignorant of any ill consequences. And then when things do go wrong, it ends with a fight in which 30 people are killed. Samson's story is riddled with corpses. The lion with a beehive inside is just the first. So he breaks the rule about having his hair cut and that leads to his capture. There's so much wrong and... He is, yet he is a real believer. Despite these weaknesses, we do know he is a real believer. How do we know? Well, Hebrews 11, that great chapter documenting the men of faith down through Israel's history, started with Abraham and Moses, and in verse 32, Samson makes the list. Let me read it to you. What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised and shut the mouths of lions. Twice in Samson's story, he clearly prays genuine prayers. In 15 verse 18, after a spirit-empowered fight with the Philistines, he's thirsty, he cries out to God who promptly answers him. You've given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? He's speaking to God. And then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. He's a believer who prays and God answers. And then at his death in chapter 16, he prays verse 28. Sovereign Lord. Remember me, please God, strengthen me just one more. And he is given power and the strength that he needs. God hears and answers the prayers of this failure of a servant. Have you ever felt, I can't pray, I've, I've just been so bad? Take heart from Samson's story. If he can, you can. He is a flawed and imperfect man, but he prays. He prays because he knows the God who is. We feel like shouting at Samson, just grow up, take some responsibility, stop misbehaving. Don't you realize who you are? God's anointed rescuer. But he does know who he is. Chapter 17, verse 17. He tells Delilah everything. I've been a Nazarite, dedicated to God from my mother's womb. He's known it all along. He revealed that he knew precisely who he was, and yet he's lived so much of his life as if he wished he wasn't. It's so inconvenient to be tied down and restricted. I have all this power and opportunity. I'll use it for my own ends. How foolish, we think. And yet, isn't that us? All too often we take the freedom we have in Christ and we squander it on wasted time, ill-advised actions and liaisons that we know God hates. We know who we are. We make foolish God-hating choices. And yet God can still use us for his glory. Perhaps it's what happens after we've fallen that matters. We fail, we fall, we deliberately choose to act in ways that God hates, but then do we forget who we are? Set aside children of God, whom he has chosen to forgive and still use 
despite our weaknesses and fallenness? Do you know that's who you are? Or do you think, I'm, I was a hopeful prospect, but I've now failed God, and God disposes of failures and he'll use someone else? We're the former. We are chosen by God, just as Samson was, able to be used by him despite our flaws and failings. Samson is a reluctant believer then, but so too are we, all too often. And God still uses him. And God can still use you. But you say, we're living in different times to Samson. But are they? Let me lift some similarities, some parallels. Samson's day was like ours. In Samson's day, the elites, the Philistines, the rulers, the cultural trendsetters, they had no room and no time for Yahweh. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the Jews. The Jewish leaders found Samson after another fight he'd had with the Philistines and in effect said to him, Samson, you're rocking the status quo. Carry on like this and you've got no idea what other privileges and opportunities will be cut. So the religious leaders in his own denomination were saying, shh, stop making such a wave. The Israelites had completely bent under foreign cultural and religious rule. They hadn't stuck to their guns the way Daniel did in Babylon, quietly refusing a royal diet and praying to God in the middle of a foreign kingdom. No, they capitulated. But Samson wasn't one for conforming to that capitulation. For selfish reasons sometimes, but occasionally on account of his people's and his God's honour, he believed and was prepared to stand by the truth no matter where he saw it clashing. Don't we live in a culture ruled by other gods? There is something of Samson, bravely standing against the ruling elites of his day as as much as they were oppressing God's people. Now, we may not have a Philistine government out to oppress us. Some would argue we have. But what we do have is those around us, and even our religious denomination, giving in to unthinking acquiescence to the appeal of material wealth and popularity and therefore not sticking to our guns theologically. A lack of concern for justice, genuine justice, in which you've got a part to play in winning it. For the weaker, the poorer, the marginalised, the refugee, the abused woman, the isolated child, the helpless unborn, people don't seem to care much for those. Or will we? We don't have to go with the apathetic flow. Concern for image over substance. Soundbite over reasoned, careful argument. Have we got time to speak and persuade and urge and encourage people to think about the choices they're making? Or are we in too much of a hurry with them? Most Christian believers, I I wonder how many here, have chosen to so merge with the culture that they've lost any distinctive flavour of Christ. They have more disdain for the slightly awkward Christian who's prepared to stand up and be counted for believing that faith in Jesus is the only way a person can can be saved 
that it matters how the Bible is handled and that God has given good boundaries to the expression of our sexuality, that life is precious whether in or out of the womb, that God has made no promises of prosperity now and that living in the light of the future can mean hope in the face of physical or emotional pain in the here and now. Are we distinctive on those things? Samson realises he needs to stick out against the flow. Yes, he craves normality and trying to fit in and not living out his Nazarite vow. In the end, he, when he finally gives in to Delilah's nagging, he's signalling how much of a wrestle it is to stay distinct and set apart. Don't be surprised how hard it is to live a Christian life in a world that wants to push you out of the picture. He wants normality, but he's captured and he's blinded and he's bound and all looks helpless. But the author tells us with a brilliant turn of phrase right at the end of Jane's reading, his shaved head began to grow hair again. For the set apart ones, there is no normal. God will use us. And he does do. In Samson's subsequent self-sacrifice, he wins a great victory over God's enemies. So where do we go? It's it's all too easy, isn't it, to be a half-hearted believer. Let's see that this isn't what God wants. We're not to be like Samson in his wavering, impetulant character. But if that has been you this last week or even for years, wavering, impetulant, take heart. God has not forgotten his promise and he will use those whom he has chosen. He will work his purposes out. And if you can use a Samson to foreshadow the great rescuer Jesus, then he can handle all our struggles and our ambivalence and our waveringness and keep us going. He can take those things in his stride and spur us on to better. Perhaps he's doing that with you this evening. Now is the the moment to stop resisting God's call on you to put down the impetulant jawbone or whatever it is. Admit who you are and with God's help begin to reflect the Lord Jesus whose life was given up for yours whose death set you free to have a fresh start every time you need it, whose spirit now empowers you to live boldly and bravely for him. Are you a flawed believer? I am. Samson was. God can use me, and he can use you. So take heart and pray for his help. Let me leave you for a moment to think and pray for yourselves and then I'll pray for us.
Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Heavenly Father, in Samson's self-sacrificial death, he points beautifully to the Lord Jesus. We praise you for him and ask that his death, which won for us rescue and hope, forgiveness and a fresh start, every time we need a new one, will be a comfort to us flawed believers. May our flaws not get us down so much that we are incapacitated, but invigorate us again with a fresh desire to live boldly for you against the culture that we might honour our King, our Saviour, our Lord. And we ask it in his name. Amen.